mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue, and there's a war on! Joining me is author, cook, and currently in love with a set of twins, Kate Young. Today we're talking about The Chamomile Lawn by Mary Wesley, published first in 1984. Hi, Kate. Hi, Caroline. What made you choose this awesome book? Um, this book is one that I read when I was 13. Yeah. I my mum's bookshelves were covered in books that she'd bought in the UK when she lived here during the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading stuff that most of my friends in Australia weren't reading because there were books that just, for whatever reason, hadn't come to Australia. Yeah. And I'd done with all the books in my room and so did that thing where you go to mum's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd read all the books in Australia and then did that thing where you go to the other bookshelves in the mm-hmm. house, the grown-up bookshelves. Oh, yeah. And I was 13 and it looked fun and I read it and it was really fun and I liked it a lot as a 13 year old so fun and like um I can imagine it's the perfect age because you're kind of in between the ages of the main characters aren't you yeah absolutely you've got the older you're not quite size Sophie. of the 18 year yeah. olds and not you're not quite Sophie not quite Calypso exactly that <laughs> so I'm going to do a quick plot summary yes, and then we do. can dive into it because there's just so much to get into here like basically the entire world war Two to get yeah, into yeah I mean there's, there's it's a big many, many years all the way up to the, the 80s yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Like, Jesus. All right. So, every summer, a group of young cousins, Oliver, Walter, Calypso, Polly, and the much younger Sophie, gather at their Aunt Helena and Uncle Richard's house in Cornwall for an idyllic beachside holiday. We meet them in August of 1939, where people are still saying that the Nazis are splendid and that the war will never happen. The night after their inaugural dinner party, it does. What follows is the explosion of the teenage innocence and we watch them grow up through the war and find the Blitz isn't actually all that bad when you get used to it. <laughs> and yeah, like, and there isn't like a ton of plot plot, but in another sense, there's like a, it's the biggest plot of all, which is World War Two. Yeah, because there is so much happening all around them and in their lives. Like they're all working for the first time or living away for the first time or living with each other or falling into relationships or there's lots of stuff that happens but it's you're right it's not like a terribly plotty book and what's weird is that the in the opening chapters you get a sense that it is going to be a oh, very yeah, absolutely. plotty book because it has the thing of because they have this thing called the terror run yes explain the terror run the terror run happens along the cliffs in Cornwall and it's something that the older cousins have been doing every year um, and that Sophie gets to do for the first time in 1939 and the terror run you flash your torch you run in the dark along the cliffs in Cornwall to a predetermined point and you get timed and every year it's a competition but it's also a did we do a better time than last year and it is amazing they go and do it every year and they do it in 1939 and Sophie child Sophie does it for the first time in 1939 and it is it colors the whole rest of her life because of what happens on the terror run that time yes yeah and and the thing is it's like straight it's, it's kept very vague for a very oh, specific f- yes. and not metaphor heavy book yeah it's incredibly vague what happens to her on this terror run very vague and and very sort of a i think it's a 
fascinating telling of trauma and a, a sort of examination of what trauma does and how you talk about trauma and how you talk about a thing that's happened that you didn't have words for when you were 10 years old and yeah. you're developing words for as you grow up. And also, like, the lack of language for trauma in this book yeah. is amazing to yeah. me. And it, like, I for some reason, I, I, I this kind of genre of, like, there's a war on, but we're all getting laid. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm finding very comforting at this point in our history or in my life or whatever, because there is... There's so much happening all the time. All of it is being taken so seriously. But at the same time, there's a thinning of sincerity in that seriousness because you can't be that serious all the time. Yeah. And so it feels like right now, emotionally, to be a human being right now, you have to care so much about so many things. And I I can feel that caring getting thinner and thinner every day as it gets pulled and pulled. And like when you get you go into these books so much happening people are dying and it's like oh get over it <laughs> yeah but there's that lovely bit as well where iris polly's daughter says to her you all cared for each other like as they're telling these so the the book has two bits which is the bit in the second world war and then the bit at one of the characters funerals sort of 40 mm. years later and you're seeing iris polly's daughter who wasn't born until just after the like didn't doesn't remember the war sort of listens to all of her mother's stories and goes, you were all caring for each other. That's what you were doing. Yeah. Like that, that's what this was, this whole thing that you'd set up, these relationships that you had, this was caring. That's how you were doing it. And it's so, it's weird because all of the characters, when they're living through this war together and they're kind of popping in and out of each other's lives and yeah. it's not caring in the way that we know it no you know it's not because there's a lot of selfishness there's a lot yeah. of backstabbing there's a lot of husband stealing and Absolutely. wife stealing and a lot and of like, like secret keeping and yeah people not being clear with each other and people keeping things surface and seeing yeah. each other vaguely and infrequently and so not having the deep conversations that might constitute caring but also yes. they are caring um, yes. Yeah, I find it really... I think as well, I want to say as we begin... I, we've already begun. <laughs> but I, I feel as like this begin. book is neither sentimental nor garbage. No! Like, I think I want to, like, advocate for this book. I, I brought it on here mm-hmm. on the podcast because of its cover. And because I think yeah. similarly to the way that you talk to the sort of film industry at the moment the conversation around little women and the mm-hmm. fact that men aren't going to see little women because yeah. it's not a story for us. I think that Camille Lawn has the same sort of thing where you look at that cover and I think as a man, potentially, you might look at that and go, that's not a story that I would engage with. As a woman. As a woman who loves, loves women. Yeah. I have had two copies of this book in my house. <laughs> Our friend Ella Bruce Bridger yes, is friend of the podcast. <laughs> friend, of, friend of the friend pod, of the podcast and us. <laughs> Um, uh, she is absolutely furious that we're doing this today because um, she's been trying to get me to read this for years and every time I almost read it I'm like God, it's just these weird sleeping eunuchs on the cover, and it's just oh, leave me alone. Like, and I think it like it, it does sort of mean that people who might otherwise read it and love it, yeah, aren't doing it. And I've got a group of friends, and one of them is Ella, and the other one is Liv, mm-hmm. um, Livia Potts, and we all love this book and have for years and when we started talking about it all sort of discovered that oh yeah oh oh my god yes Polly and the twins and like you've you've got that book in your soul see that's thing. the thing so like and I agree with you neither sounds sentimental nor garbage yeah. uh, and Mary Wesley like a, deep, a very yeah. respected loads of and a fascinating yeah. woman absolutely um but um 
the way people feel about it is both sentimental and garbage. Absolutely. <laughs> you mean? Absolutely and that's what that. I care about with this yes. podcast more than totally. the absolute, like the technical definitions yeah. of what of things are. Or, yeah. It's when people, when grown women get reduced to like a burbling mass. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. just oh listing God, their favourite characters in the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, when, it, when it's like, it's not even a description, it's just like grabbing someone's shoulder yeah. and being like, Oliver! Oliver! And then Oliver! Oliver! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And that's what people do about this book. Yeah. Like if you know it and you love it, that is it becomes a language. It's like these characters are your people and you know them and they're part of your life. Yeah. I'm actually more excited for the reread of this. Oh my God, the reread is so good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, so I read it when I was 13 and then I read it, I think I got this copy that's literally in front of me mm-hmm. in my early 20s and reread it having just moved to London and was sort of like, oh my God. This... Location spotting. Yeah, at location yeah. spotting A, which having walked through like the city of London today to get here yeah. is so good <laughs> just to walk around right. this area of London and go, yeah, that building was probably there. Yeah, that, that just Sophie could have walked past it. Yeah, I love that bit. But it is. I read it in my early 20s and went, there is so much I obviously missed when I was 13. Really? That there's so much depth to it. There's so much coming back to the, like, there is so much exploration of trauma and what that does to people and how people respond to it and how people protect themselves from it and protect themselves from fear and death and all of the things that were going on around them. And th- that was something that I missed when I was 13. Because, of course, when you're 13, it's just like, yeah. all of these characters keep having sex with each other. With, Max has sex cousins. with everybody. Max has sex <laughs> with, with everybody. everybody. Apart from Calypso. And, wait, I thought they do. Oh, no, ones. he does. The ones, I lie. The I lie. They're just the ones. Don't you deny, yes. Max. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Sorry, Max. Sorry. Obviously, you had sex with everybody. And that's another thing. I feel, and like... It's really hard to focus in on uh, because there's so much going on. And, yeah. and you, you, you immediately leapfrog onto another point Absolutely. as soon as you on one. But um, there's this like fascinating representation that I've never seen anywhere else of um, these two Jewish immigrants, mm-hmm. um, Monica and Max, who uh, have come over from Austria. They're refugees. They begin the book and they sort of... And there's two generations going on in this yes, book. There's yes, yes, yes. Three, if you include Sophie, is a separate one. Um, there's like the young, the, the bright young things who are just sort of tearing their way, fucking their way through London. And going to war. And like go, the and, ones and who going are going to, to fight. Missing from most... like The, the, the male characters yeah, missing are missing from, from most, of the, most of the book. And then we have the older set. That's um, Richard and Helena who have both lived through the First World War. Yeah. Suffered devastating losses and become, as the younger set referred to, war bores. Yes, you know? absolutely. Like they've sat around and listened to these two people wang on about the war for years, and yeah. now they're going to be the war bores. They're going to have their own story and their own version. And you can of this. see that illustrating their choices in how they speak about yeah, themselves. Absolutely. Or they're like, we're not going to be that generation who yeah. constantly are just sort of weeping and singing folk songs or whatever <laughs> yeah. and talking about mustard gas. We're going to like have sex, get jobs, be like, oh God, dreadful, isn't it? Anyway, champagne. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it actually, because I've read a lot of books set in this time period, but I've never Ditto, quite yeah. <laughs> understood why the kind of cavalier, almost cruel approach to death that permeates yeah. all of them. The Midfords, the Caslets, all that has the same kind of, ah, yes, well, Walter's dead. Tea, yeah. You know? And I think it does tell that so well about we've been hearing these stories from yeah. our parents. We've been training for this friends. our whole lives. We've sense. been ready for this forever, like for this to be a possible reality. But I, yeah, I, the older generation, I think, are totally fascinating as well. There's when, Hel- when Helena remembers getting the news about her first husband dying in the first war, 
it's such an amazing moment written, obviously written by a woman, yeah. because it's about her remembering so many details of it, including the fact that she just got a period, like, and was relieved not to be pregnant. Yeah. And like all of these yeah. little oh. like moments of so memory good. of she's just realized that her husband's dead and here's all these other like woman bodily things that go along with that memory, because of course you remember yeah. that sort of stuff. Oh, of course you do. It's so good. Yeah, and it's just like she comes across as this quite callous character and she doesn't really like Sophie and she leaves Richard and has an affair with Max and does all of these yeah. things. And then you're like, she's like traumatized. She's got so much grief yeah. and so much trauma. And so, you know, there's been so much in her life. Like what an extraordinary thing to have lived through and, and survived through and then to marry Richard who Richard fancies little leg. girls and only had one leg and yeah. yeah. And that's a... Again, you just said so much there that I, I, I right? want to just like pick apart. First of all, we have like Helena. Who, let's, just, yeah. let's just like settle on. Let's Helena settle on Helena. Sorry, yeah. I am jumping around. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm equally as guilty because they're just also fascinating. Um, so you've got Helena who begins the novel irritated that she has to iron the newspaper. Yes, it's and, such a good opening, like such a good character opening. And you know what? The first couple of pages, I was like, oh, it's one of these. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Of course. <laughs> like, of course. And I was like, this is fine. It's obviously well written. It's not going to be my favorite book ever. Yeah. I'm not super into the big English house. Yeah. I, I, some of them I like, yeah, but a yeah. lot of it I can leave. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be about passing the newspaper back and forth for 60 pages. And then, <laughs> and, and, um, and so she's, she's this middle-aged woman who's like resentfully caring for her second husband's nephews and nieces yes um, and she's like yeah 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 ironing the paper blah 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 and then by the time the war breaks out she's just driving to London from Cornwall yeah. in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. night with her young nephew by marriage and uh, just and it's this beautiful drive where they're just like she's entering into his world and they become kind of he becomes old and she becomes young it's almost yeah. like cosmic do you know what I mean yeah 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 and she just like she's like well I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have sex with the uh, Jewish immigrant yep <laughs> Yeah, I hear Max is great. Yeah. <laughs> and like also on this very real thing of like, um, you know, she basically like absconds to London with Max. Absolutely. And she's like, well, this is my first ever orgasm. I'm not going to yeah. leave. Yeah. Like <laughs> this, leave oh, this is what this thing is supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, shit. OK, I guess this is it then. I guess I'm here for a while. Yeah. And this is going to be a thing I'm going to keep doing. And it's that thing of like. Everything is being taken away from us. Our phone calls are rationed. Yeah. Our food yeah. is rationed. Everything that could be rationed is rationed. If you can carve out a tiny space of happiness yes. and love and lust and excitement for yourself, yeah. you have to protect it with your body. Yeah. You know? And that's what they're all doing, I think. Absolutely. There's that bit where they're like, we all lived intensely. That that's yes. what that's what they agree that they're going to do. With, like without ever talking about it, there's that agreement that what we're going to do is live intensely. Can I read a quote? Please read a quote. So when I'm, uh, I think it's much later on, years and yeah, years, yeah. where Polly is talking to her children, children. on the way to the funeral. Yes. yes. Um, Should have thought, said James, that in the war with the bombing and so on, there wasn't much time for private life. That's where you're wrong, said Polly. We all lived intensely. We did things we had never done otherwise. It was a very happy time. Yeah. And they all say that in their own yeah. way. And like Calypso and... Everywhere. And it's that thing of like, ah, yes, like the, the floor, the, the, you know, chunks of the Ritz are falling into our drinks, but yes, we're still dancing. we're still dancing. But I think there's, there's something else to address here, which is about that sort of weird fetish, fetishization of the Blitz yes. spirit yes. that I think also has in recent years become tied up with like 
Brexit and yeah. we could do this again. We're great. We're Britain bullshit, which yeah. I have absolutely no time for. But what I do find compelling and the reason that I love books set in this period is that they give particularly women the space to do things that they wouldn't otherwise have yeah. done. So you're, you're faced with these characters who suddenly have lives they didn't plan for and couldn't have imagined. So they get to go Polly works at Bletchley and it's like only ever vaguely touched Mentioned on. <laughs> yeah. She sometimes goes to she, Bletchley and that's she, why exactly. Sophie can't get into her house. Right. So like it, it's just it's there's a whole other book that is just Polly's story about all of the stuff that she does. But it is an extraordinary like look at this life that they build with in, in this time that they didn't, you know, in this time where everything else was taken away. So you get to go, okay, I'm going to make decisions about X, Y, and Z. I am going to go out and work. I'm going to yeah. find love. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to make fierce friends and protect ourselves and whatever else you choose to do. That That's why these books are compelling. I'm not in any way romanticizing or glamorizing it's blitz spirit isn't it? because it, the thing is it is romantic yeah you know it is and and it's hard not to romanticize yeah. and like it's hard not to feel a weird like i get it i get why it's such effective propaganda yeah absolutely because you're reading these books and it's you're written by a woman who really went through this oh and absolutely like, she's yeah, merely yeah, yeah telling it how it was yes and, it, and you you are drawn to it and you're like god i just a part of you is like, god i'm so sick of having to think everything through to <laughs> yeah. an nth degree and behave Absolutely. politely and tweet correctly and all this stuff. And yep. like, if we were all living day to day by our yeah, wits, imagine, we'd all be nicer and cooler. <laughs> right. Imagine if I just got to do things because I wanted to do them, not worrying about the repercussions of yeah. that six months down the line. If you don't know there's going to be six months down the line, what would you do? Yeah. Right. Like that's quite a compelling and narrative so, basis for everything. It, it really, and it's and especially as a woman as well. Yeah. Like it's that interesting thing of, um, I mean, you spoke about Little Women earlier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's that, that discussion of sort of Little Women and 1917 being parallel films in a sense, <laughs> yeah. even though they're set like, you know, yeah, 40 yeah, years yeah. apart or whatever. And um, and and one happening while the other is happening. And I, I sat in, I, and I've seen 1917, mm-hmm. and uh, I imagine many people have because it's won a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I remember sitting there in the cinema with my boyfriend and having this experience where I was like I was, we both loved it and it's incredible I don't know if you've seen it yeah yeah it is beautiful a yeah. beautiful beautiful film and I realised that we were both watching two different films yeah because he was watching a film and thinking like what kind of soldier would I be mm. and I was sitting there thinking like here are the ways my man could be taken from me yeah do you know what I mean yeah 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 and, uh, and, and it's like that male female experience of war is so different emotionally but yeah it's the same thing it's yeah it's like, sorry i'm not really making a no, grand no, you point are, but yeah. it, it is like that i think that's why these books set in this time speak so specifically to women when they're set in london yeah because it's about the people who are left behind and they mostly happened to be women yeah and this thing this observation that calypso makes where she's just walking around um walking around with her dog near the Serpentine <laughs> yeah. and she's like, oh, there's no children and there's no yeah, dogs Yeah, there's anymore. no children because they've all... Got, I love that moment. I love I, that, that really moment. struck me rereading yeah. it this time for today. Just going, yeah, God, imagine walking around London and just going, it's all people my age. Like, yes. all the kids all the book, are gone. Yeah, no one to look after. No one to look after. Other. Yeah. Most elderly people have been sent out. Like, there's loads yeah. of people who aren't here anymore because it's not safe. So the people who are here are people working who need to be here. Yeah. And it's that that's literal. It almost feels like um, 
it feels a bit like sci-fi, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's yeah, such yeah. a world that you're unused to. What is like that that kind of like Naomi Alderman or Margaret Atwood? Yeah. Like, what happens to women when you take away everything Absolutely. they have to look after? Everything's Absolutely. small and vulnerable. Yeah. What happens? But it is that. It's that like dystopian novel or futuristic like, you know, end of the world novel where you go, if you lose everything else, what yeah. is valuable? What is important? What type of stories do we tell? What type of things do we spend our times do- uh, time doing? Like that's what this allows us to do in a like completely realist context that you don't have to imagine yeah. this horrible sort of non- currently non-existent future where everything might be stripped away and we're in The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. But it's like literally in the 1940s, this happened. Yeah. Like this happened. People were left and the world was a different place. And for a number of years, people existed as if you have to keep living and you have to keep doing things and you have yeah. to make make hope for the future. But also this like dramatic awareness that the future you're planning for and had planned for since childhood might not be there. Oh, you're, you're very good at talking. <laughs> <laughs> Just mesmerised. <Thank> <laughs> like, Go on. Um, you're absolutely, and it's also, it speaks to this human truth as well that I think anyone can relate to if you've ever gone through an extremely hard time in your life. And like, I, and I often feel this way, I often feel like a sense of confusion. Like I had a, you know, a few years there where like several people in my life died yes. and got very sick. But at the same time, I was publishing my first book novel. I was having a, like. You do having, things. Uh, you do things. <laughs> yeah. And, and feeling that sort of like exhilarating sense of like, things are so bad and so good. Yeah. You know? And I know that's not going through a war, no, but no, everyone's but life is one. You yeah, know? And, and that is the thing. There are those little recognisable moments. I, in 2012, I was going through absolutely horrific trauma that didn't let me sleep at night and made me genuinely diagnosed mad. But I was also working on the Olympics. And so I would get up every day and go and work in the Olympic Village for like 15 hours with a group of kids having the most amazing time and then go home at night and not sleep and be panicking and doing all of those things and just living this bizarre Uh, chunk of my life, which I always look back on with this sort of like, that that just feels like somebody else's life. Like this different time where my priorities were totally shifted and just ended up doing what you do, like pushing through and making stuff happen. Do you know what? I feel the exact same way about the Olympics. (laughs) Yeah. Truly do. And Were you in London during the? Olympics? I was in London. Yeah. I was very new to London. I moved in two thousand and eleven. So okay, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And so I had um, uh, I was working in recruitment. Okay, I hated it. Oh god, but I was also good at it, which yeah, that is even more. That's really annoying. It's, yeah, and like I had, I had been, I remember I had been given business cards, right? And 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 it said the same day that the opening ceremony. And I remember oh going god. around to my boyfriend at the Times house and watching the ceremony and just feeling so depressed, yeah, and so upset. And um, I, I think I had like. I was breaking out in acne. I was compulsively pulling out my eyebrow hair. Yeah. I did not look my best no. or feel my best. And I was like, is this what being 21 is? Yeah, yeah, 22, yeah. 22, rather. And uh, I remember feeling that sense of like, the, I was so mad at the joy the city was feeling because yes. I felt the inverse. Yes. I feel like Blitz is kind of the opposite, <laughs> of, the opposite that. of that. In a yeah. Weird, yeah. But that sort of juxtaposition with the world that you exist in yes. and all of that's going on inside you that's not being reflected on the outside. Yes, and I, it makes you so yeah. angry. Yeah, furious. Yeah. I sat in the, we watched the dress rehearsal of the opening ceremony a couple of nights before the actual thing. And I remember sitting, we came in late, so I was sitting like, in one of the alleyways, what, what are they called? Aisles. <laughs> that's, Aisles. That's the real world. <laughs> that's the real world. The aisle between like all of the, the chairs, just sitting there watching like this thing and unfold in front of me and going, 
this is so incredible and I am so miserable and wow. so sad and just so messed up. Oh my God. And just having that like enormous joy and enormous traumatizing pain and being unable to reconcile those two things. Uh, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had an honest conversation with anyone the Olympics before. <laughs> I realise it's not about Mary Wesley, this but I'm about very invigorated by it. Big London events, you know, the Blitz, <laughs> the 2012. The two things. <laughs> if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com um, I want us to light on um, Max and Malika for a Let's, minute. Let's, yes. Because there is so much Oh my there. God, so much there. And so much about Paulie, their son. There like, is a heel turn. What? Am I right? <laughs> like the last three chapters is like, what? Hold on, what? So, okay, tell me <laughs> about it. Yeah, you take, take me from the beginning with Max and Monica. Okay, so Max and Monica um, live, well, come to live uh, near to... Uh, uh, Helena and Richard down in Cornwall and they come to live there because they're refugees Richard at one point they get sent to the Isle of Man and Richard goes to London and fights to get them brought back to Cornwall so that they can spend time here but they also they left Austria being told that their son would get out too leaving the sort of the responsibility to a friend to get him out too and they deal with this enormous guilt because he doesn't he goes to Auschwitz and yeah. they wait the entire war to hear whether he's dead or and not and they what's interesting is they don't name check Auschwitz into the last no like, it, it's 50 the, pages. yeah exactly it's like really late on that you work out where he's gone yeah. but but there's sort of that dread that that's probably yeah. where he's gone but maybe that's but, not where he's gone it's, and it's such economical writing because yes. it's like it's, it's like saying Stonewall when you yeah, talk about gay exactly, rights. Like it exactly. It's like, the room. oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, boom, yeah. done. Um, and so they, so we've talked already about the fact that um, Helena sort of falls into a relationship with Max and ends up having great sex. And, yeah. uh, and Max is this incredibly talented musician. So he's up in London performing anyway quite often. Mm-hmm. And... So Monica goes with him. Um, sorry, Helena goes with him and has this time. And while Helena's gone with Max to London, Monica spends time with Richard down in Cornwall. And yeah. there's this point at which Helena and Monica have this conversation. They're like, "Well, essentially, we've swapped husbands, right? Yeah. That's like that's essentially what we've done." And um, and then when Richard dies, Max ends up just having kind of two wives who both know of each other's existence and know that yeah. that's what's and happening and respect each other and love each yeah, other. Yeah, they have. A, he has a city wife and a country wife, so yeah. he has. Monica, who's down in Cornwall in the old in the house that Richard and Helena once lived in, and he's got Helena in London 
and they have an amazing time there. And yeah. these women both love each other and recognize and that Max is a philanderer anyway. <laughs> and he's having sex with loads of people anyway. And they'd kind of rather it would just be the two of them. And that he yeah. knows, at least they know. In the family. Like, yeah. better the enemy you know. And, um, yeah. and so, yeah, so that they have this unorthodox but sort of thing that w- ends up working for them. And that the final scenes of the book that we've been building to the whole time is Max's funeral. So Max mm. ends up surviving through till the 80s. And by that point, Monica has passed away. And we have a scene where Max gets news that Paulie has died in the concentration camp, mm. um, which in the final chapters turns out not to be true. And yeah. Paulie comes to England um, and then is they have this weird moment where they sort of go, he's not, they all talk about him not being one of them. So it's, these cousins yeah. that were together in the 40s and became incredibly close and and don't stay incredibly close. Like there's no. there's lots of conversation about the fact they've not seen Oliver in years and Walter dies in the war and Polly and, and Calypso don't seem to spend loads of time yeah. together. Like they all very much go their separate ways, but there is this thing where they are an us. So yes. that generation is an us. And included in that is also the four older generation yeah. like they are all part of this us Helena is at Max's funeral and she's still part of that too but Paulie who left the concentration camps completely a different person because yeah. I'm sure you fucking would <laughs> yeah. um, because you've survived, because Auschwitz. You survived Auschwitz like he is a different person and he is not one of yeah. us not one of the people and it's it's so alarming as a reader yeah because there is no Sympathy. No. For Matt, for Paul no. Um, and there's there's multiple characters who say it would have been better had he died. It would have been better yeah. for Max and for Monica had he died and they never had to see what he turned into. And this man who was unsympathetic or callous or whatever it is that they all blame him yeah. for being. And the thing is, is that like Paulie, when you get to him in the in the final chapters... They all hate him. Oh, hate him. They hate Sophie him. has slept with him, but they all yeah, hate she him. Yeah, because she thought that she could, like, like she uh, thought they, warm she him could, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she thought that she could, like, fuck love into him or something. Yeah. But, like, it's not, he doesn't do anything no. dreadful. No. He's just, like, quite awkward. Yeah. He doesn't really know these people. He's done uh, yeah, really he's well for himself. he's not one of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, he's not, like... Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and, 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 and like, he's... I mean, this is the nice possible way. He's German. You know, he's like, he's yeah, very, yeah. quite he's cold a different and rigid guy. Yeah, and yeah. He, he's not, he hasn't spent his life in Britain and, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't identify with his parents' lives. Nope. And he must feel and a he, deep sense of complex resentment right. for the fact that they have been having a wonderful time and he in was, the war. And there's, again, just throwaway sentences and throwaway stuff that sort of speak to the greater horror that this book is when he sits down to play a piano at one point and can't play because his hands have been broken by this, like his hands were broken when he was in Auschwitz and he comes from this incredibly musical family and and there's this beautiful line and I didn't mark it because I'm an idiot, but there's this beautiful line about the music not being in him anymore because he can't, he can't play it. Yeah. And that's like the tragedy of that and thinking about all of the things that you lost that aren't just time with your family and, but like, an incredible loss of innocence because he was a young, a relatively young man. Yeah. And that incredible, like, loss of 
everyone you will have seen killed and every bit of your future that you hoped for, assuming that it's not going to happen and waking up every day imagining that you're probably or possibly going to die today. Like, what a thing to have been through. And the characters have no sympathy for Completely callous about it. Yeah. Yeah. I find it quite, like, that. I find that bit quite moving, this, this sort of... I want to know more about Paulie. Yeah. And I, I like that we don't. I think it's beautifully written and perfectly told, mm-hmm. but I want so much to know and about it's like, him. You have to wonder about Wesley's choices in doing that. Yes. Do you think she, at that point, she was just like, she, I mean, she was a salty old queen. She was so <laughs> salty. And I think she was just maybe at that point be like, look, I'm not having another book where someone stumbles out of Auschwitz, hugs their parents and shows them a number yeah, tattoo. Absolutely. And we all have a great party. And we all party. have, yeah. You know, she's like, I'm going to have. And then everything goes back to normal and I get married and it's all lovely yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, easy. Like Sophie doesn't marry either. Sophie shows up to the funeral in her 50s. Yeah. And is also not married. And Sophie has enormous trauma. And there's sort of suggestions through multiple bits of the book that she's been sexually assaulted at various points in her childhood and that it's massively impacted on her obviously yeah um but also as we discover and what are we do we, are we doing spoilers yeah i think so i like please read it obviously the thing is i i think with books like this where they're not like super like and then the twist yeah is, right right you know when I mean? it's not gone girl right like, yeah exactly it, it's or kind like of, flowers in the attic i was like please oh my God, everyone please everyone <laughs> yeah just pause it oh my god can we talk about flowers in the attic <laughs> at lunch yes, yes. <laughs> great, <okay. laughs> great perfect um but yeah like she what, she, what happens on the terror run is that Sophie, the first time she practices the terror run during the day, is flashed by this man who has obviously flashed her multiple times yeah. along when she's done this route on her own. As a 10-year-old girl, she talks about a pink snake and a man yeah. who, who held a snake and showed it to her. Yeah. And her cousins, when she sort of vaguely alludes to this, have literally no idea what she's talking about and check her for snake bites. And uh, and then sh- when she does the terror run at night, he is there and she pushes him over the cliff and he dies and he washes up on shore yeah. and, and, and it's never talked about that he was murdered. But Helena talks about the fact that she thinks that Sophie probably pushed him or like yeah. it, there are suggestions that people knew and that it's never really talked about. And the only person that Sophie tells is Walter who dies. Yeah. Like she tells him three weeks before oh he my dies. God, what's that gonna do to your brain? Like right? So all of this, like her trying to and she t- tries to tell every yeah. one of the cousins at some point during the book. See, this, tr- this is this is the insight from someone who's read this book six <laughs> times. I love this. She like yeah, she's, you're right. she's under a table during the blitz trying to tell the story. She tries to tell the story to Oliver yeah. in like when he's comforting her one night that he comes to London. Like she over and over and over tries to tell this horribly traumatic story and can't do it, can't bring herself to do it. And then there's a moment just before the just before Max's funeral where Calypso asks Sophie who she first had sex with. Yeah. And Sophie shuts down. Yeah. And Calypso's like, oh, yes, no, 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 I, it, it was Hector for me, who's the man that Calypso yeah. marries, and sort of no brushes it me, off. Of and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thought I was shagging everyone. You're like, well, only after you got married. <laughs> um, but she sort of brushes it off, and it's yeah. all very easy. And Sophie never talks about it again. And you kind of are left wondering, like... Which is funny, because, like... Um, what happened? Because 
we believe that we see her virginity. Yes, scene. because she sleeps with Max. Yes, obviously, because <laughs> everyone and does. It, and it's, it's the thing is, it's, it's it's kept purposefully vague. Yes. Sophie's age. Yes, so you can can't you can believe she's fourteen. You can believe she's sixteen. You know, yeah. seventeen. Who yeah. knows? You know. Yeah, I think like yeah. So she's ten in thirty nine. Yeah. And so she might just be 15, 16. But she's like really unacceptably young for me. Oh, yeah. It's it's completely unacceptable. Yeah. But But I I think that... Here's the thing. Lots of unacceptable things happen in this book. Well, quite, yes. But it's also this thing of like... um, Something I'm thinking about, I think about a lot Mm. at the moment. And particularly when I think about, um, you know, very young women and their sexuality and stuff. And... There, there's like there's a word like 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 obviously the exploitation of young girls is a parasite that yes. leeches on our society. Yes, and has um, destroyed every woman I know yes. on some level. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Every woman I know is affected by this on some level. Yes. yes, and but I think we, as people, sort of focus on that exploitation, that rage that we all feel, that vulnerability we all feel that protected us we all feel for our younger selves that we don't make space for child desire and I'm not saying that a child's desire makes it okay for adults to take advantage oh, yeah. of them yeah. but I'm just saying that it exists Do you Abs- know what I mean? and I think like this book is a really good representation of it existing because yeah. Sophie it seems at the start of the book that she's got this kind of very innocent I'm 10 years old of course I've got a crush on my very attractive older cousin Oliver that develops to become this, no, she's genuinely in love with him and she genuinely yeah. desires him. And and as she's com- becoming aware of what desire is and and how she might engage with that, it is like it, there are men in this book that she thinks of yeah. who should remove themselves from that situation and yeah. not take advantage of that. Who's but the guy who she has that sort of nightdress scene with? Tony. To- so t- tell me, so tell Tony, Tony's the fireman yeah. who... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony's the fireman yeah. who in, eventually is in a relationship with a man. So yes. they have this really interesting conversation where Sophie's been expelled from school. Uh, not expelled from she's school. Run from she's school. run away from school because she's been accused of having a crush on her teacher, of being in love with her teacher, who's a woman. And she is horrified by this prospect mm. doesn't doesn't accept that women might love women yeah. and tony's like it's not legal and and tony's <laughs> like well it's not illegal and it is for men um and and tony sort of goes well you know th- some people are attracted to the same gender and that's fine yeah. and then there's this just little sentence where tony who frequently found both sexes attractive um and then in the end he's actually in a rela- like when he shows yeah. up at the funeral he's in a relationship with a man Yes. Um, so he shows up with his his partner, his friend. I think it's and, referred and they, to. They as. run like an antique shop in and Brighton. They run an like, antique oh, shop perfect. in Brighton. I was like, I know those guys. And like, yeah, that's perfect. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, we all know. Who we, all we all know those guys. A picture of the antique shop. Brighton. Absolutely, yeah. I've got a very clear image of what that <laughs> antique shop looks like. It's wonderful. I'm so chuffed for Tony. He seems thrilled. <laughs> And Oliver takes the piss out of him and he's like, yeah, I'm having a great life, Oliver. What do you want? You married two women who you hate. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You married two Calypso stand-ins who are both shit. Yeah. Uh, But but there's a scene with her, with Sophie. It's basically their only scene together. Oh, sorry. Yes, I remember now why we were talking Um, about this. Which is she... She shows up from school having run away. Yeah, in her like school clothes or whatever. And she's so upset. He's so kind to her. And then she sort of, she's 14, 15 or whatever, goes into Helena's Helena's drawers. Yeah. Puts on her lingerie. Yeah, puts on this like see-through nightdress. Yeah. And gets into bed with Tony and he's like, 
has yeah. this moment of going, I could do what yeah. I would tomorrow realise is the wrong thing here. Yeah. Or I could go and sexually frustrated, be cross and sleep on the sofa. And yeah. that's what he and does. That's what he does. <laughs> if that is what he does. Um, Which and is not, this is not necessarily a book where that always will happen. No, absolutely <laughs> not. That, that, is, that scene yeah. in this book very much could have gone the other way. Yeah. And it's weird because when Sophie does eventually have sex with Max, mm. who is, I think, in his 50s. Yeah, and must she's like, be. 15 or yeah, whatever? Yeah. You're, you're so trained in reading. Yeah. Like, all books teach you how to read them, right? Absolutely. And you're, you're like, oh, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is some part of you that's like, yeah, Max was probably the right person, actually. And then, and then you go, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. What am I doing? But yeah, like, yeah. That's, by that point, we've gone, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That, yeah. that's, that's the natural narrative outcome here. Completely. And he, he has just received a telegram that Paulie is dead. Yeah. He hasn't even called Monica yet. Yeah. Because, like, a year earlier, Monica has tried to jump off the cliff because of the guinea pigs. Like, this yeah. book is amazing. It's just got these, like, every part of it is incredible and every character is so beautifully realised and so every line that's put in the mouth of a character couldn't be in any other character's yeah, mouth, yeah. which is such an incredible skill, Even the except way for the twins. Oh, my God, the twins! Who are basically the same man in the way that is perfect. Like, of course they are. Yeah. They are the same man. So the, the twins, like, you, are you a Peep Show fan? Yeah. I just kept thinking of Superhand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the twins, I'm always on about the twins. <laughs> the fucking twins! Fucking twins! <laughs> but they're they're, like... All of the relationships in this book are complicated. The like the one that seems to work the best and for the longest is Polly's relationship with both twins. Yeah. That they start sleeping together during the war, the three of them, and then they go off to war, they come back, she's having twins. It could be either or both yeah, of their yeah. offspring. And yeah, and that's it. And they all continue to exist together and do the t- they I, I was unclear as to whether they all live together I don't think they the all end. live together but I think it's inferred that they did at that some they point, did though. at some point and like I don't know whether the twins have just before the funeral they've gone back to see like they're in France for their father's house or they're in France yeah. or whatever but even like their father who was the the minister oh yeah the rector. He, the rector he's fine with it like he and his wife are fine with this unconventional Thruple that, yeah, like Polly and the twins have ended up in, and so nobody else in their community. <laughs> Polly is well named. Polly is well named. <laughs> <laughs> Polly is very usefully named. Um, but yeah, so n- nobody in their community ever gives them shit about it because they're p- her, you know, his parents are fine with it. The twins' parents are yeah. fine with it. But yeah, that nobody, it, everyone has a moment during the book where they're like, well, who's Who's yeah. do, like whose offspring and are even the, the twins kids themselves? Don't and care. The, kid, the kids like, well, it doesn't matter, does yeah. it? Like they're the same person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, what's what's the kind of the 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 relationship maths of the book is that it's like it's completely or geometry I should say it's all triangles it's all triangles yeah. and rectangles yeah and it's all triangles and rectangles <laughs> and rhombuses and like awkward shapes yeah and it's like there is no there's really no monogamous love story at all in there no and I think it kind of it derives from the thing of like you would be an idiot to depend on one person right this absolutely climate, because anyone could be just in one minute but you know, also gone. like time is a fickle tricky thing like even the relationships that don't happen in the book but happen in the years subsequent, like Calypso's son, Hamish, yeah. Sophie helps 
Calypso give birth during the Blitz. Yeah. Because she goes into early labour because there's a bomb. Just a magnificent scene. Obviously. Incredible scene. And she helps deliver Hamish and then, like... 16 years later in the south of France relieves him of his virginity. I love when people <laughs> relieve one another of their virginity. Um, and, and then he is totally in love with her and wants to yeah. marry her and all of these. Like, you sense that this energy that is in this book, even once the war finishes, yeah. continues. Yeah. Like, these characters have learned to engage with people in this way and that's what they continue to do. Like, to live fully and intensely because of course that's what they do yeah for for the rest of their lives yeah and like do you feel a sense of disappointment that like so towards the end of the book we have this whole setup where calypso and sophie are living together and in many like that could be a whole book so, totally just like glamorous yeah. older cousin younger yeah, mixed race cousin you know what yeah. i mean like that sophie has left school, school. Yeah. yeah and that could be a whole like muriel spark yeah. novel actually this reminds me of muriel spark yeah a lot, it has that book. doesn't it um and uh, we get like three pages of it. I know. And it, but it's like it's beautifully. It's like and that's where she did her growing up. Kind yes, of thing. And it's totally beautiful and really really sweeping. And then it's like, but they never really saw each other no. after as adults gave birth. Yeah. And yet somehow she managed to take her son's virginity. Yeah. Like, do you find a sense of disappointment that after the war these people don't really spend that much time together? I feel very much weirdly like that makes more sense than anything else that if perhaps you've gone through that kind of thing together that reshaping your lives and reshaping your relationships in a world where everything is different afterwards might be a really difficult thing to do and that figuring out who you are and how you fit into that group once the blitz is no longer happening once the trauma is is Settled. you know in in the past yeah. in the bone. even if it even if it is literally still within you but the sort of immediacy of the trauma is is not yeah. every day anymore how do you reshape yeah. your relationship with those people i can understand going out and seeking relationships with others outside that circle yeah others who are like if referred to but never yeah. really cuz it's, it's never about become the gang. It, of course yeah. it is it's about the gang and we see the gang come back for the funeral like yeah. we we spend time in, and I think the structure of the book is so well done that we sort of, throughout the book, we keep flicking between mm. 1941 or 42 or however, whatever point we've reached during the war. And then suddenly we're in the back of someone's car. The, yeah. And Hamish Always is, in the yeah, car. exactly. People Hamish is driving, driving Helena. old people places. Yeah. People yeah. driving old people play, down to Cornwall. Yeah. And I've taken that road to Cornwall. I know that A303. That is like, that is a road and a half. It is long and winding and one lane for most of it. So it is, it takes ages. And I can imagine yeah, those conversations like, in that car. Is that, it's, and it's it's so brilliant because like everyone who's ever d- um, done a trip from London, yes. what, it's six hours. Yeah. You need two audiobooks or one yeah. really interesting it old person. It is big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one somebody with really great stories. <laughs> um, did you want to read anything from the book? I, I, do I remember we had a passage something. picked out, but I forgot to stop you to read it. Okay. Um, oh, 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 I've just dropped my book on the table, which is great. Um, so I want to read... I, I've obviously reread this book to be here today. I actually listened to it and I saw you tweet the other day about yeah. audiobooks being books. And I just want to add my voice and say audiobooks are books and stop being a fucking snob. Stop being a fucking loser. <laughs> like, so many loser virgins so out there. Many loser virgins. Like, <laughs> I don't, 
I also have showed up to a book today in which I have written all my uh, notes in the back of the book. I like I do a not. After my own heart, I case. do not fetishize books at all. I love stories. Yeah. I have no emotional the book attachment. Is the thing that happens yeah, in your head, right? The book is the thing that is told to you. That's yeah. the story in the book and all of those things. This is just paper, like whatever. Anyway, agree. Anyway. Cosine. <laughs> so I'm going to read the bit um, where Helena and Max have just gone, are just going to, about to go to Covent Garden to buy flowers for one of his concerts. So, the war was very romantic, said Helena all those years later, driving down the motorway with Calypso's son Hamish. Surely not, great aunt. Surely yes. Why, Max and I went to Covent Garden at dawn and he bought flowers as they were unloaded from lorries. He filled a taxi with roses and carnations. He was exhilarated by his first concert in London. What a success, those flowers. I can remember the smell now. We drove back as it grew light to Polly's house where I was staying. It wasn't so romantic when we got there. Not enough flower vases. No, someone had woken Polly to tell her that her parents had been killed by a stray bomb. They were somewhere near... Godlem, a Goldeming, British place names, I have no idea. I have no idea either. I also stumble on that. Yeah. Uh, Near the hospital. Her father was a doctor, you know. And just that like really short passage of romance and beauty and excitement and being at Covent Garden and picking up armfuls of flowers and then going to at dawn with your lover and you've had your first concert in London and it's been extraordinary and you're having great and you thought your life was over and you thought your life was over and it's not and you're suddenly in London having thought oh I'll probably just be in Cornwall with Richard for the rest of my life and then showing up and being oh here's grief and here's war and here's all these things that are happening as well yeah I just think it's so beautifully perfectly written Uh. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's the whole book. In a, yeah, in a that's passage, the whole book it? in a passage is like, yeah. here's the romance and the glory and the excitement and all of the potential when you don't second guess what you're doing and you just do the thing because you want to do the thing and yeah. you don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and then you get home and the worries of tomorrow greet you. Like, uh, here they are, people are dead. And like, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm going to read a bit that I've picked please, out please, please. before we finish. Um, So this is Sophie much later in Mm -hmm. the book. Looking out at the grey, unfriendly sea, Sophie remembered the last period of the war, living with Monica, helping with the cow, the hens, the garden, Mr. and Mrs. Floyer, village activities, and of how she had longed to be back in that dreadful school for the sake of the brief moments passing through London, where she had felt part of Helena's, Polly's, or Calypso's lives, with news of Oliver, glimpses of the twins, moments with Max, talk of Hector, a feeling of belonging, of being part of the group which had dined on the lawn one of the last days of August 1939, sitting around a table lit by candles with the moon rising above the sea I was alone then she thought I'm alone now Oliver bane of my life Oliver bane of my life (laughs) that is so heartbreaking and so beautiful and we like I know that feeling yeah like being alone in a crowd like being part of that group and also feeling horribly terribly alone it's that moment I've I've been chastised for bringing up Rebecca too much oh my god yeah (laughs) you know where she's like having a picnic yeah of course yeah yeah and she's like Everyone's eating eggs and having yes. a great time, and I and I am be sitting here going, I am so yeah. alone. And it's that thing, and it's like it's, it's very twenty twenty of like being unable to commit to a moment. Yes, you know, yeah, of which got, I uh, find very relatable. Yes, me too, very much so. This book set in thirty nine and yeah. the eighties, and written in eighty four, and yeah, this yeah. just feels so true and relatable and part of my life. I like I. Relatable has become a real 
weird descriptor mm. in literature lately because I feel like when people use it, it's like, oh, it's about a girl who's just like yeah, you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, she's yeah. silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's not perfect. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. But when, when, and like, this is my, this is when like, I don't know, books, you know, capture me yeah. that thing of when someone's life couldn't be less like yours absolutely and, you and you're like oh that's yeah. emo- that emotion I recognise that I've been to that place yeah that's relatability when absolutely. it's art absolutely when know? it's art yeah yeah, yeah. The, I don't have to like recognise her in a like mirror yeah. sense oh I, I don't have to agree with her choices no absolutely not or I mean we've completely skipped over the fact that one of the major characters is a paedophile <laughs> yeah I mean we and sort we of love him yeah weirdly, we, we like, vaguely talked about it and not yeah. really and like maybe that is the first person who like uh, you know was yeah. awful to Sophie and yeah. you know there's there's so many bits of that that we've not addressed but they're all presented as human people with yeah. their flaws and their imperfections and their sometimes criminal and horrific tendencies yeah I love it. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you finally read it. Yeah, I know. I could have gone my whole life without yeah. reading it. And now, stupid cover. And now you're gonna look. You're gonna look at it on your shelves again in ten years' time. And go. I'm going to yeah, read I'm this going again. Back. I'm going because back I can't in. wait to go back into it when I'm not waiting for the main yes, plot. Yes, yes, I yes. I spent the first half being like, okay, when's the uh, when's the thing gonna yeah, happen? Thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, the thing is happening. It's yeah. called life. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is just happening all around us. Yeah. We're all living it. Yeah. That's the thing. Oh, Kate Young, tell me about yourself before I let you go. Oh, um, I, so I, I also love this book because it's so full of food. It's and dogs, so I, good. <laughs> sorry, I, I wanted to mention the dogs, yes, dogs. because I love them. <laughs> um, it's so full of food. And I think one final moment is that in the very first chapter, there's a moment when um, Calypso comes down to breakfast after they've all just arrived down in Cornwall. And she says, is there any kedgery left? And Polly yeah. says, no, I ate it all. And there's this, this narrative of Polly being greedy exists throughout the story. Oh, I didn't even like over that. and over again, there's just suggestions by various characters that Polly is greedy. And she's greedy because she has two men. Yeah. But she's, she's also greedy because she has all the kedgery. And greedy because she has all the joy that most of the other cousins yeah. don't get because she goes, You know what I need is both of these men. That's gonna make me happy. Yeah. And they figure out a way to make it work. And she is greedy kedgery and greedy male. <laughs> And I love her for it. Anyway, um, but it's full of food. So I write about food and fiction. Um, I've written two books that are full of recipes inspired by books. My first book, The Little Library Cookbook, includes um, the kedgeree from the Camomile Lawn. <gasps> wow! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Specifically so cool. because of I that moment. That. I've always loved that moment. Um, and my second book came out last October and it's called The Little Library Year. And I don't know when this is going to come out, but there's going to be a third book this Christmas <gasps> called The Little Library Christmas, which is all about uh, Christmas food in literature. Oh, you've got the best job ever. It's the most fun. Just eating underlining <laughs> yeah. things. Literally eating <laughs> underlined things. <laughs> That's what I do. Yes. So I write books and that is the kind of books that I write. Thank you so much, Kate, for You're coming so on. Welcome. This has been a bloody delight. Absolutely joyful. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.